If you are looking at your marketing programs today and trying to figure out where's the greatest opportunity, for some of you, you've got clients that have been dramatically impacted by the current macroeconomic environment. You may need to focus on expansion and retention. It's not gonna be a one size fits all, but I was talking with someone earlier today, I said, we just got another round of funding. I am in new business all the way. So look at your existing data, look at your business, look at your customers and ask, what do they need? And then build a program that aligns to these 15 KPIs. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenow. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Happy New Year, marketers. We hope you were able to take some time off to enjoy the holidays with your loved ones and are feeling refreshed for the new year. And if you're already craving some more R&R, we have just the solution for you. Kelly, want to clue them in? I would love to. So I'm going to throw three words at you. Scottsdale, Sun, and Sessions. As you probably know by now, our B2B Marketing Exchange event is coming up in less than two months, and we would love for you to join us there. But in the meantime, we heard a drum up excitement and share some insights from last year's event series. Yeah, we were lucky enough to share a session from a two-peat speaker, Mason Cosby, Director of Growth at Gravity Global. He's all set to take the B2B MX stage in February. But while we're at it, we're going to share a replay from his session from our B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange in August. So Mason's session was titled, How to Measure the Success of Your Revenue Strategy, and he shared his insights into building a revenue flywheel. Mason dove into an overview of a revenue flywheel strategy, touching on how it differs from traditional lead gen and the flywheel accelerating role that ABM plays. So without further ado, let's roll that tape. Before we dive in, I just want to give a hand to the organization of this event. I feel like each session is really built off of the previous sessions. So I'm going to really lean on a lot of what Lisa talks about when it relates to efficient growth, some of what John talked about this morning, and even uh, putting ABX in the corner that just happened, because to really, this entire event is about how do we actually grow revenue? And again, we can talk about this in theory and in concepts, but when it comes right down to it, especially reporting up to you into your executive suite and to your CEO, we need to really simplify and have some key performance indicators of success. So again, my name is Mason Cosby. I do serve as the director of growth and I will give you a drink if you can guess who my wife and I are dressed up as. This was for a watch party of a recently released television show. It is relatively strange and things happen. Yes, stranger things. Who are we? Hopper, good. Uh, my wife's favorite character is Dustin. <laughs> so anyway, a little bit about us. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Amber. You're going to get $15 from me so you can buy yourself a drink. With that, let's paint a little bit of a bleak picture. 80% of marketers today struggle to effectively measure their success. Again, the success of their marketing campaigns. That's pretty bad. That's four out of five can't actually accurately say, this is what's driving the results. Why? 
So we're going to get some audience participation. So I've been in a lot of sessions. I've sat by some great people, but I haven't really felt like I've had the opportunity to get to know them. So take a minute, turn to your neighbor. Why do you think four out of five marketers can't actually measure the impact and the success of their campaigns? Talk amongst yourselves. And that was approximately 25 seconds of incredible insights that I'm sure were just gathered amongst all of you. And I'd love for you guys to come back together and share with me what are the reasons you feel four to five marketers cannot effectively measure the success of their campaigns? Data. Why else? Just shout it out. Why, why can't marketers effectively measure the success of their strategies? Ooh, poor program objectives. Lack of integration, AKA there's not a good sales and marketing exchange. I'll be here all week. Who said it? Perfect. You had one? It's dark. It's dark. Would you expound on what you mean by it's dark? Like they're making buying decisions at events like the B2B sales and marketing exchange where there's no tracking because it's just a conversation between peers? Well, do we have any other reasons? Honestly, that was a lot of them. And if I were to simplify it, I think it comes down to really three key things that have happened over the past two and a half years. I hate to be the guy that brings up COVID again. I'm so sorry, but with that, COVID did happen, and it disrupted our regular stream of marketing activities. For good or for bad, we knew how to measure them. Executives have bought in. When that happened, we all threw up our hands and said, oh my goodness, we can't do what we used to do. We don't know how to measure moving forward. So then we all shifted digital, which made digital really expensive, which then made executives really scrutinized, okay, what are we actually doing? And it felt like the resounding theme of marketing and sales for about two years was we have to pivot. How many times have you seen, what is it, Ross carrying a couch up a set of stairs? Everybody pivoted all the time, and when you constantly pivot, you can't actually get data to then analyze what is actually working. Add into that new privacy policies. So tracking became exponentially more difficult and thank goodness Google extended the cookie out to 2024, but you still have to figure it out in the next year. It's not gone away. And I think as a response to a lack of community, because I don't know about y'all, but when I got locked in for COVID, I didn't see people. I was kind of sad. I lost a sense of community, which we then found online and then was born the LinkedIn influencer. So again, a lot of these buying decisions are now happening on social and in private communities where none of it is tracked. So of course 80% of marketers are struggling to actually measure the impact of what they're doing because to your point, a lot of it is dark. But we've been tasked with building a sustainable growth strategy. Not growth at all costs, sustainable growth. And with the rise of RevOps, there is an objective third party that is over in the actual way that you should be doing RevOps over marketing, sales, and customer success to look at the full life cycle to understand where should we deploy our dollars to increase revenue. So if you're going to truly build a sustainable growth engine, you have to think holistically. It's not just new biz, it is the full life cycle.
which then gives way to a sensitive clicker that comes back to the revenue flywheel. There are five stages of the revenue flywheel. It's brand awareness, building the pipeline, accelerating your pipeline, retention and expansion. And I'm seeing Amber, her mouth dropped a little bit because she literally just talked about this in a different model, but they're all flywheels, all focused on revenue. So with that, what we're gonna do is gonna walk through high level, the main three KPIs you need to be measuring across your revenue flywheel. So for starters, brand awareness, measuring the target accounts and the new markets. And let's, let's talk about this for just a moment of, have any of you, by a show of hands, actually built a target account list, looked at the existing data of clients similar to those on the target account list to then understand what is the ACV of these specific accounts to then measure that against your target account list to not have, again, a bajillion zillion dollars like Lisa had referenced earlier for an entire market, but what is the viable opportunity for this specific target account list of maybe seven accounts? Has anybody done that? Amber, I saw you were shaking your head yes. Anybody else? Have you guys looked at it from the lens of what is the revenue potential with this account list? Okay, so we've got a couple people, but the vast majority, honestly, including myself until a little bit ago, hadn't. So if you're talking to your executive team of we need to get really personalized and really focused, but again, they're used to a lead gen model and you're coming back and saying, we got to think smaller, but you haven't shown them the revenue potential, they're not going to buy in. And the other thing is, as much as we love to look at our data, not all of our data is clean all of the time, which causes difficulties to be data-driven marketers. So sometimes we're still going off of hunches. It's the art and the science. And sometimes, including myself, we lean a bit too much into the art. But if we look at the target account list, we can then actually make a viable business use case to say, this is worth the time investment because these 10 accounts that look a lot like our existing customer base could produce a million dollars in the next six to 12 months. So that is the first thing to look at is, is this even a viable potential account list to go after? Next, we talked a lot about this. I'm not gonna beat this to death, but account engagement. So your first party data, again, looking at your website, your content, and then looking at third party intent data, measuring those. Now I will say from a brand awareness perspective, this piece of the revenue flywheel will likely need to stay in the marketing org. Because even as I measure our marketing, what I report into my executive suite who's sitting right here is the number of sales calls we have every week. As much as she loves to see the engagement on our content, if it's not making a meeting, it doesn't really matter. So again, this is really helpful for marketers, but that then leads into how do we then come together with sales? So this is building the pipeline. So again, we've got pre-nurture opportunities. So if you've got target accounts that are highly engaged and showing a lot of intent, you may wanna remarket to them. We've seen that a lot in some of our sessions today of how to actually build that pipeline. This would also then be the time to activate sales. And you can then, from a KPI perspective, look at how many accounts do we have in retargeting campaigns and how many accounts have we activated with sales so you could potentially even start to forecast your pipeline based on your existing data to see when we have accounts enter into this stage, we see them actually enter into a sales conversation within the next 30 to 60 days. So again, you're actually forecasting your pipeline. From there, once we've actually forecasted the pipeline and we've got the pipeline actually being generated because meetings are being sat, discoveries are being had, you then wanna look at influenced and source. And I think honestly what John said this morning in our keynote 
was incredible. I agree, but from a KPI perspective, we need to measure what marketing is sourcing and what sales is sourcing. So then again, from an objective third-party perspective of RevOps, we can understand what are better to deploy our dollars for what is driving revenue growth today. In the exact same way, again, there's a whole conversation around alignment. So Nicole and I, who Nicole is our managing partner at Gravity Global, had an interview with a man named Mike Wolber, who is the CRO of a company called Rent Dynamics. CRO meaning oversales, marketing, and customer success. When he was launching ABM, he did not focus on sourced because he did not want it to become a competition between marketing and sales. He focused entirely on having marketing influence revenue. And what he saw was that when he actually had marketing and sales come together, not in a competition, but to recognize the value that marketing can have to accelerate our pipeline, marketing influenced 90% of their revenue for the year. That's impressive. And again, what it did is it brought marketing and sales together around a set of target accounts, and they closed those target accounts. The last piece of this building the pipeline is close lost. Again, to Lisa's point this morning around, again, we want to get as much in our pipeline. So our ICP really just becomes anybody that wants to buy. We enter into the pipeline and we lose them. But the question is, why? And if we don't take the opportunity to look at our lost opportunities, we're going to continue to lose opportunities and wasting sales time. So again, we need to actually hone in the ICP. So a part of this flywheel is to then have a KPI of how many opportunities did we lose, were they in or outside of the ICP, and how do we fix it? As far as pipeline acceleration, we're going to look at your deal stages. So underneath deal stages, you want to understand the pipeline velocity. So again, I work for a company called Gravity Global. For closed one, our average sales pipeline velocity is anywhere from about 30 to 40 days. So I know, because I also sit in a sales seat, if we hit day 35, and I don't know what's going on with the deal because we just made a recommendation and they went dark, I got about five days to re-engage them before they're probably gonna go away. Because I also know for our closed loss, they hang on our pipeline for typically 90 to 120 days. So I can, again, as a salesperson, I have a sales and a marketing hat, I can do both, um, I know where to prioritize my time. So again, you also wanna understand on a more granular level, deal, stage velocity within each stage of the deal pipeline. That was a really convoluted way to say it. How many days are you in, the in each stage? Because again, to the same point, if you have a client that sticks in the contractor agreement stage for 30 days, they're just holding on to a contract. They may have said we're ready to buy, but what's probably happening is they're getting contracts from a bunch of different vendors and they're shopping the contracts to see which has the best price and the best, or best legal terms. So again, understanding time in each deal. Additionally, we've talked about this a lot already, but buyer committee reach. So again, we've all been in that sales process where we had one internal evangelist that got us all the way to the decision maker. And we had one meeting with the decision maker and then suddenly this thing called the great resignation landed them a new job somewhere else. And then we lost the deal because the one person we had through the entire sales process got a better job. Whereas if you get more people involved earlier, that is a great indicator of the success long-term of actually closing that deal. And then finally, from a deal pipeline perspective, you have ICP fits that have raised their hand and have said, I'm interested in your services in some form or fashion. 
That is the best opportunity to do ABM and to actually do one-to-one -one campaigns because you know their problem. They've told you. They said, I need a solution, and I think it could be you. Can you prove it to me? We won. Hey, we got a deal. Now what's next? We need to retain the customer. And I think an incredible opportunity for intent data is to look at intent spikes on your existing customers to then get ahead of it. So if you see an intent spike on your category and they're a customer of yours, that means they're looking at other vendors, which means you can rope customer success in to then say, hey, they've spiked. There may be an opportunity to get ahead of it to understand their specific problems. And I'll be honest, I mean, I, I just churned on a piece of technology because I was the only power user. We didn't have a viable use case to use it, but they didn't ask me about it until two weeks before the renewal. But we had been already vetting other vendors for three or four months and they provided intent data. So I'm just saying, if you've got intent data, which has been talked about a lot today, you can use it to keep your existing customers. Additionally, look at product updates. Again, most of you are in some form or fashion probably in the tech space. You are releasing new product updates that are directly tied back to what your customers are asking for. Are they using it? If they've asked for it, do they actually use it? The other thing, because most of us have competition in our same category, if you have frequently asked for requests as new features that you don't implement, they're going to search for other vendors in which they may find a vendor that can actually do everything that you offer plus what they've been asking for. So keep a pulse on how frequently people are asking for specific features that you're not implementing. And again, try to think of through how to get ahead of it. And then finally, customer events. I have got a couple of ex like experiments on customer events that I'd love somebody to take and run with. But obviously, location-based, that's the most obvious. But think about NPS. Again, taking your promoters and turning them into power users and recognizing them, giving them awards, hyping them up to be your internal evangelist and in those communities that we've talked about, you can't track the evangelist in those communities. I also have an idea. It is untested. But if you have, from your NPS perspective, detractors, doing an event with your detractors and your promoters where your promoters teach your detractors how to better use the platform and it's peers teaching peers. Or if you're really gutsy, taking your detractors and asking them why they're detractors and hosting an open forum where they can voice their opinions and actually tell you why they don't love your product. Again, crazy concept, but you're getting very good feedback. And then additionally, product usage. So again, if you've got a bunch of power users, getting your power users together to just hang out and have a good time, it will help you then as we move into expansion, help you actually, again, activate those evangelists for your expansion campaign. So let's talk about upsell and cross-sell. So I'll give you an example. We are a HubSpot partner. So I have a dashboard of all of our clients that are on HubSpot where I can look at they're using Marketing Hub, but they're not using Sales Hub or CMS or operations or service. So I can see in our, in our dashboard this client has loved Marketing Hub. They've really complained about their sales software. Could we upsell them? So do you have a way to actually track the upsell opportunities within your organization? Additionally, new business units and divisions, especially as we're moving enterprise, 
there are a lot of subsidiaries within companies. I've been recently talking with a healthcare logistics company that has seven subsidiaries. So I'm talking with the parent company, and they're trying to figure out where gravity fits into all of their different subsidiaries so that we can test it with a subsidiary and then scale it across the entire organization. So once we've run that pilot test, I'm going to have to have the conversation again to say, hey, we want to, we want to scale up across the organization. So you likely have customers, as I've mentioned this idea, that you immediately thought of and said, we're only working with a very small portion of their business. How do we expand that across numerous divisions? And then finally, utilization. So again, looking at your power users for case studies, for testimonials, and for referrals. Jordan Henderson, who is the Director of Revenue Operations at a company that escapes me, made a LinkedIn post that said, really easy piece of advice. If you send out an NPS and somebody gives you a nine or a 10, ask for a referral. They have literally raised their hand and said, I love you. And this is, he said, coming from a guy that often submits nines and has never been asked for a referral. It's a huge opportunity that is very obvious. We just don't think about it because again, we don't think from a revenue flywheel perspective. We don't necessarily think holistically. We're all marketers still trying to get over our lead gen backgrounds. So speaking of lead gen backgrounds, let's talk about it. Legion focused, awareness, interest, consideration, purchase. If you've been in marketing for any longer than a decade, you've seen this probably a thousand times, or you've seen a funnel flipped or sideways, or some, there's a funnel for everything. But again, when we look at the key metrics, the key performance indicators of a lead-based model, it is form fills, it is conversion rate optimization across your funnel and across all your different micro conversions, it's lead scoring, which again, I, I loved how Sixth Sense called it out. Lead scoring is just a made-up model. Like, it, we just assign point values, honestly, kind of at random. Like, what makes a webinar 20 points? And then we say, ah, they're marketing qualified, let's pass over to sales. Where again, the revenue flywheel is focused on account engagement. It's focused on pipeline creation, one revenue, and actually looking at how much revenue is in each account so that we can then better target from expansion back into brand awareness. So again, I think we all know this, but super high level, Legion is not, it's not cross-functional. Again, it was already referenced in the keynote earlier today, Legion is a relay race. I pass the baton as a marker over to sales, then sales takes it, passes over to customer success, and then they just try to hold on to the client for as long as possible. Additionally, it also limits the perspective of how we can grow revenue. Again, when we look at things holistically, we recognize that it's not just new business at the top, shoving things through a funnel to try to get it at the bottom. But again, we can look at it holistically to understand there's a huge opportunity where it relates to upselling and cross-selling right now. It doesn't accurately reflect the buyer journey today. Again, that's been talked about today a lot today. But I want to really hone in on, we've all heard this statistic, but it, I don't think it really had hit me until I was actually building out this presentation of less than 1% of MQLs that actually enter into pipeline convert to revenue. So if you're defining your MQL appropriately, which in my mind is an ICP fit that has shown a high level of engagement, not just somebody that registered for a webinar, they've entered into the pipeline and they didn't convert to revenue. Why? Because it's a lead gen model. It doesn't actually look at the entire account. Again, wide net, wasted spend, and then finally, it just simply doesn't align to company objectives. Again, I, I don't fault our past selves for looking at it because it's what made sense at the time. We didn't have the appropriate technology 
that made it easy to scale and look at revenue. We were looking at how do we generate enough leads to pass over to sales so we can continue to scale. I don't fault our past selves. It made sense at the time, but we've been shown a better way and we need to adopt it. So again, with that, the revenue flywheel fixes growth. It is cross-functional and everybody's focused on growth. It is a holistic view of revenue. Essentially, it's just a flip side of lead gen. Literally the exact same bullet points, but how revenue fixes it. Revenue flywheel fixes it. So, if you hadn't picked up on it, I'm a big fan of ABM. The revenue flywheel does truly equal ABM. And again, you can call it ABX, you can call it go to market. At the end of the day, it's focused on engaging those named accounts that are your best fit customers and actually giving them an incredible experience so they want to buy from you. So, these are gonna be cut for time, but if you wanna learn more about these plays, go talk to Terminus, they have happy to tell you. With that, I wanna walk through in some detail a campaign that we had run with one of our clients um, that was really awareness, building the pipeline and accelerating that pipeline. So, this client served an incredibly niche industry, like honestly many of you. They serve the life sciences event industry, super niche. <laughs> and they saw that ABM would dramatically increase revenue because they had significantly better targeting. Again, it wasn't the event industry, it wasn't the life sciences industry, it was the life science event industry. So from there, they wanted to create this evergreen ABM campaign framework that would promote content based on each stage of the revenue flywheel. And from there, the main goal was really just to see engagement amongst their target accounts. The main goal at first was brand awareness, generation of pipeline. So how we help do this is, again, we fostered that marketing and sales alignment with an account engagement score. So again, we took into consideration demographic, firmographic, and behavioral information, looking at intent and first-party data. And from, again, demographic, we're thinking location, number of, or firmographic would be number of employees, revenue, potentially even looking at their existing tech stack. Then from a sales and marketing orchestration, Sales was in Salesforce, marketing was in HubSpot. We set up the appropriate data syncs so that from HubSpot, sales get the sales triggers to say, this is a highly engaged opportunity that you need to close, so reach out. And then from Salesforce, we sent all the data back so that marketing could automate and act upon that data. And additionally, we expedited the sales process. And this is one of the things that's been brought up on a number of occasions today, but again, you've identified by name the accounts. Don't send them to an SDR. They don't need to be banted. If they're gonna be disqualified, it's for culture fit or, not, or wrong time, not because they're not the right fit. And then actually mapping to account stages. So understanding what do we need to send at what times, who needs to be involved. And again, actually building out that account list. What we had done is with this client, they brought sales and marketing together to actually handpick a list of target accounts. So again, that was a great way to foster that sales and marketing alignment. Skipped ahead. So building the flywheel, again, identified the largest problem that the industry was facing. And for them, it was event content engagement. So again, people were coming back to conferences, but they weren't actually engaging with the content that was being presented. Unlike all of you, you guys have been very engaging, so thank you. With that, they then dialed in the messaging and actually developed, and that's just the nerd in me thinks this is hilarious, that they developed content around event content engagement. And the KPIs for them were, again, target account engagement, content consumption and retargeting, and then finally pipeline generation. So with the way that we built out this campaign, it was continuing to use last month's data to inform this month's strategy. So it was an iterative growth approach by identifying what is content. So we created that content, did the ad creation that was distributed through Terminus, and then did a webinar series 
launched the ad campaign, did a follow-up webinar, created a content pillar page that was ungated, then developed another webinar, planned out the retargeting, and actually planned for a new segment, launched the retargeting, launched, or started to create the assets for the new segment, and then finally in January, launched a new segment. So from September to January, six-month time frame, from a content output, they had gotten an ungated ebook, a pillar page, a webinar series, a blog series, a series of case studies, and again, this always-on framework that they could then take and deploy into new segments. And then additionally, again, they had the data on their promotional tactics from Terminus and LinkedIn and remarketing. And again, that orchestration with sales. So sales actually had specific sequences and cadences that would align with the account stage so that sales actually knew what to say to the accounts based on where they were in the journey. Which then, of the 248 accounts, 47 showed high levels of engagement. Of those that entered into pipeline, Sorry, 35 of those accounts entered in a pipeline, which resulted in a $6.6 million pipeline generation and ended in a closed one of 34 accounts, which resulted in $5.7 million in revenue. Again, launching really in October, doing some of the strategy setup and the content creation in September to the end of January. Because again, they actually looked at their data and started to look more holistically at what's the greatest opportunity for growth today. And they saw for them, it was new business. So again, we need to come back to this. If you are looking at your marketing programs today and trying to figure out where's the greatest opportunity, for some of you, you've got clients that have been dramatically impacted by the current macroeconomic environment. You may need to focus on expansion and retention. It's not gonna be a one size fits all, but I was talking with someone earlier today, they said, we just got another round of funding. I am in new business all the way. So look at your existing data, look at your business, look at your customers and ask, what do they need? And then build a program that aligns to these 15 KPIs. Again, Legion will not actually result in the accomplishment of business objectives, whereas the revenue flywheel will. So Q&A. I loved this session so much because while I have heard of a revenue flywheel before, I always wanted to go deeper and understand its true inner workings. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And if you liked what you heard, we'll have a fresh serving of Mason Cosby at B2BMX in February. With that, that's a wrap on our first episode of 2023. Thank you all so much for tuning in and keep an eye on our socials for upcoming episodes and stay up to date with information about our upcoming events. And don't forget to subscribe to our pod on your podcast player of choice. Thanks again, everyone, and take care.